Welcome to this week's episode of A Question of Code. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about community. And to do that, we're joined by Jeremy Walker. Um, he uh, spends his time building organizations and businesses that help other people. Um, I know him as the one of the co-founders of Exorcism, which I've talked about on the podcast a lot. Um, but he's also involved in Kaido. Um, so welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's good to have you on. Um, I think when Ed says... Exorcism has come up a lot in previous episodes. He's understating it slightly. It, it, it's, <laughs> I'm honoured. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't want to don't want to call him a broken record, but it's it's come up a bit. <laughs> it was. It also. I they. It also ended up in my, my uh, FutureSync talk. Um, I did a conference talk talk about how I changed career and brought it up in that as well. So yeah, we've gone on about it a little bit. <laughs> I'm glad it's been useful and thank you. <laughs> Good. Yeah. No, th thank you for doing it, and thank you for making it free. <laughs> but I did give back. I did give back. I was just looking at. I haven't mentored in a little while, but I was just looking at my mentor dashboard, mm -hmm. and um, I have se seventy-two people I've helped. I don't know. Oh wow, there you so, go. That's awesome. Thank yeah. You. So I used to spend quite a lot of time doing it, but nice. yeah. So I guess we'll, we'll talk more about exorcism later. Um, yeah. But do you mind if we dig into it now? I mean, I don't want to show my show my ignorance, but despite Ed having sort of blathered on about it quite a lot i i am reasonably ignorant of how the setup works it sounds like there, okay. there are metrics for how many people you've helped and things but I, my basic understanding of it is it's a platform to connect people who want to people who are learning to code and people who are want to be mentors and and mm -hmm. they collaborate and you there's not necessarily you're not necessarily in two camps in that that you can be mentoring while you're on your learning journey. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's accurate. So the aim of Exism is to provide a place where you can um, improve your coding skills. Um, we don't generally target absolute beginners. Um, there's a massive yet at the end of that, because we will do. Um, but for lots of reasons, some of them historic, um, such as the fact that you have to download some software onto your computer and do things to be able to submit those exercises. Um, it, it's something that has traditionally been best for developers that have got a little bit of experience. Um, and the way we sort of describe that is being able to write a, a messy, dirty, hello world in any language. As soon as you can do that and you can work out how to get that from your computer to Exism, then... Um, then you're ready. But if you don't know how to do that bit, we're going to be, we're going to be a step too far. Um, but primarily we're used by developers who have got some experience and who are either trying to um, upskill in a language, um, increase their knowledge, increase their fluency, or um, developers who are learning a new language. So a lot of the usage is people quickly taking a rapid deep dive into a new language. Um, and so sort of the idea is that you might take from lots of languages um, by practicing, by having mentoring, and then that you can give back to those languages or the students of those languages um, in, in which you are an expert yourself, or at least have some degree of expertise, be that you can do a good hello world rather than a messy hello world. That's enough ever, enough expertise for you to mentor someone on a messy hello world. That, that, that definitely uh, ties with what, what I used it for, essentially. Um, I, I didn't use it to start off learning how to code. Um, like you say, it would have been, I think I, I did try and start using it, but it was mm -hmm. too hard. So I went away, learned some more stuff and then came back. Um, but yeah, I, I, I used it for like upskilling in Python when I'd been learning for quite a few months. Mm -hmm. um, and then also like when I started my job, 
my job wasn't in Python and it was in like C Sharp and C++. Mm -hmm. So that, that was a really good way of just like in my spare time gaining new knowledge and kind of I found I found a lot of it is because obviously because you get the the tailored feedback mm -hmm. I found a lot of it is quite good for like the idioms of particular languages um I ended up writing my C++ code very pythonically apparently <laughs> so I got told off <laughs> and that, that's the big thing um and I I can talk about this whenever in this podcast but it's probably relevant is, is the big changes we're making now for version three but the 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 key thing about xism is that we want you to write python like a python developer would write it or we want you to write ruby like a ruby developer or c like a c developer or i think we even have an assembly track or two now so write assembly like an assembly developer and um one of the biggest problems when you're learning a new language is that you take all of your existing knowledge into that into that language, um, and therefore you you fall into patterns and traps that often mean you're writing coding correctly but many of the times mean you're just writing it significantly inefficiently so in languages that can naturally do an awful lot of parallelism where they're running multiple code at once or they're solving things in parallel ways if you don't understand that if you don't get your head around that you're going to be losing out on most of the goodness that's in that language and also if you're coming from one sort of paradigm to another i know a lot of your um, listeners are relatively new programmers so to expand on that it, when you're learning a language most languages have one sort of paradigm one way of thinking um, it might be that you're using an object or an object oriented language where you're thinking of things as objects that work together or it might be a functional language or a procedural language or pattern matching language there are lots of different ways um, but once you've mastered one of those ways once you've learned to think in say python as an example there's a real challenge in then learning to go and think in c where things are done very differently where you approach problems in a very different manner and so while the actual syntax and while the, the, the language seems maybe easy to write in once you've got a few bits and bobs, well, where Xism tries to excel, and I hope does excel, is that it, it pairs you up with mentors who understand how C should be written. And they can, they can fill in the unknowns. And I think one of the most important things when you're trying to upskill in programming is not to sort of get repeatedly better at the bits that you know. It's to realize the huge wealth of knowledge gaps you've got so that you can broaden the way you think. You can understand different ways to solve problems. Um, and and that's where Xism sits. And we've, we've talked a little bit already here about the mentor system, and that's a, a big part of Xism. But I'd say maybe the majority, just maybe like 55% of people, don't use it for the mentoring side at all. They use it simply as a way of practicing different exercises. And then when you complete an exercise, you can look at all of the other tens of thousands of people's solutions to that same exercise. And just by reading those other people's code, you're, you'll open your eyes to loads of new ways to do things that you wouldn't previously have thought of. And as I say, we can talk about this more in a bit, but these are the things we're really doubling down on in version three of Xism, which is, which is coming up soon. Mm, I definitely found, uh, maybe not looking at other people's codes, but when I was doing kind of the, uh, the, the lower level Python mm -hmm. mentoring, uh, so like the first couple of like the leap year exercise, the, the amount of different ways I saw people approaching it was something that really helped me kind of <laughs> realize that my way of thinking is not the only way of thinking. <laughs> so there's a, I mean, a fun stat about this as well. So the most simple exercise, and I think every track is called Tufa, um, and Tufa, you can solve in most languages in three lines of code. So it is like a trivially simple exercise. You know, you have a function definition, you have one line of a bit of logic, and then the function definition closes. And that is it. 
If you look at the last 500 submissions to Python, 350 of them will be unique. If you look in Ruby, 400 of the last 500 are unique. And <laughs> like, I, I didn't, I wouldn't have believed. I, I, we sat down with some researchers in Chicago who we're working with, um, and we're, we're looking at analyzing code automatically and this sort of stuff. And I said this to them, and they just didn't believe me, you know. And I had to go and get the last sort of twenty solutions from Python. I just put them up on a projector, and they were different. And I mean, it's when you realize there are, I think, eight different ways to define a function in Ruby, and in the last five hundred sub, like submissions, they will all have been used. And um, not by people trying to be clever, often by people who don't understand that there is a specific way to do it. They don't understand there's a normal. And that's where I think Exism sits, is saying, actually, this is what's normal in Ruby. And that could be really different from what was normal in Python. And if you can learn the normals of a language, you'll find that language re rewarding and fun. And, but if you don't, you're constantly going to be fighting that language as you try and learn it. I've definitely struggled with that in the past when learning learning new things, sort of picking them up in what, a way that works but is not canonical way. And then mm -hmm. that, like you say, leads to trouble down the line when you're, you're sort of setting up battles that you don't need to fight because you're, exactly. you're doing it in an un, unfamiliar way. Um, whereas mm -hmm. if you were doing it the blessed way, it, everything, is, everything is much smoother. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> having a having a market for, or not a market, but having a place where that is prioritized is, is sounds quite compelling to me. I mean, that feels like a, a something that is hard to find hard to find elsewhere. That we try we I mean we we recommended on the past on the show in the past that people try and f try and immerse themselves in the the idioms of the sp specific language that they're using and find the ways that people who write that language write it, but. To actually have a concrete place to f where that is a priority is is hard to find. It's it's pretty unique, um, and uh, yeah, it's one of the things that when we talk about things like you know um, improving it to help beginners and all of these sorts of things, they're important. But actually, what we're doing in that focusing on fluency, um, as as we refer to it, focusing on the idioms of a language, is is really unique. Um, and it's something that we're just trying to really get better and better at working at how we can how we can teach and mentor and, and give people a very fast feedback curve on those things. And I mean, you're right, it, it, it is it resonates. So we're about to hit 500,000 users, I think, in the next week. We might have already passed it, but we're close to that. We've never spent a penny on marketing. So we've hit 500,000 just from word of mouth. And I think the only way that happens is if you are... Um, you are resonating, you are doing something that is helpful to people and unique. And that's why I'm so passionate and put so much of my energy into it is because there is clearly this amazing product market fit there. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I go on about it so much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so my, my biggest worry going into that kind of setup would be the, uh, the question of, of trust, I guess. So I, I when, when I've been learning in the past, well, I, where I've had the most value is where I've found an instructor or, or a, a team of people who have some kind of evidence of what they've done, but then over time you come to trust that their their opinion mm -hmm. is is worth paying attention to. Is the is there do you benefit from just the sheer number of people doing it, or is there a vetting process, or how does that work? So there's no vetting process. Um, so we have a real. Um, a real range of mentors and um, I mean that in all senses from people obviously mentoring their first one I think our top mentors mentored 8,000 students now um, and there's people on either end um, you know there's there's a there's a few people up at that 
sort of 8,000 level. Not a huge amount, but, you know, there's a few amazing people that just volunteer their time to do that. Um, and But you'll get... Um, you'll get a very different experience with different mentors. And that has pros and cons. As you work your way through a language track, hopefully you will get access to different mentors. Some of them will be incredibly pernickety and pull you up on the tiniest things and drive you mad, but you'll learn lots from them. Other people will give you a few broad strokes and let you carry on. Um, and we, we've discovered that that variety is good. We've, we've considered in the past ways to try and restrict that and we have we do have internal metrics we have like mentor rating so you can rate your mentors at the end of each interaction you can leave testimonials if you like them um in v3 we're going to be adding the ability for you to um either pair or block a mentor so you can sort of say i really liked this mentor like prioritize this person again um or i don't want this mentor at all and the mentor can say the same about the students and if both the mentor and the students like each other they're more likely to sort of get paired in the future and if either of them don't like them they'll never get paired again um but generally people who are wanting to volunteer their time um a there's there's a generally to have the confidence to mentor somebody you need to have some level of knowledge yourself it's rare for someone to choose to volunteer their time and feel confident enough to give someone feedback on this code and not have a highish degree of competency it does happen um and you know we i think we're going to talk more about communities in general in this podcast um but getting a community to sort of manage that is something that we're constantly working towards um but generally speaking i think the people who have the people who enjoy mentoring and good at it are going to stick around more and by the fact that they stick around more they become a higher percentage of the people that are mentoring and if i was to learn a track i'd feel like i had a you know 98 percent chance of getting a good mentor each time yeah I, I don't think i've come across someone that i've not seem well has seemed confident and knows what they're talking about and is friendly and willing to help um when i've been using it so so is this the nature yeah. of the sort of person that's going to be volunteering their time to help people learn to code? <laughs> that's it. You know. I mean, but we, we do, yeah, we, we do, we do have nightmare people sometimes. I mean, like, so, I mean, the other side of this is that Exism is, a, it's a community built project. Um, we have a leadership team and we have um, a sort of a core team that work on certain components. So the website, for example, isn't, it's open source, but it's not something we accept contributions to. Um but all of the language tracks, we have 150 repositories that make up Exism in total. And all but about five of those are totally community managed. So they are they have volunteer maintainers that run and build each language out. And three and a half thousand people now have contributed to Exism's code base. Um, so we rely on that goodwill. And we rely also on processes and procedures that mean that the community generally tends to stay amicable and positive and there are nightmare cases there are really nightmare cases um and you know i get i get like hate mail each week about exism um like literally it's i mean it's crazy but i do i genuinely get i get i get one i get one annoyed person a week at least about something um and then uh probably once a month a piece of actual hate mail that's like you deserve to die um often it's due to the name that does rile some people up Mm. um and i tend to sort of 
like so so obviously exorcism sounds like exorcism and you've probably confused a load of your listeners at some point with that um and i'm resisting i think the i urge, confused tom yeah. <laughs> i'm resisting the urge to call our contributors exorcists even though i really want to um but um but the the that's a pun on the word exercise and it's a pun on the phrase the devil's in the detail um it's not a pun on like exercising demons out of people i don't understand how it would be a pun for that um the the big problem around this on v1 a long time ago of exorcism was that the icon was a devil and that was sort of i think added to the confusion about this so we we, we sort of went hard the other way for version two and turned the icon into a really smiley face um i also i'd just like to say i've trademarked a smiley face for exorcism which i think is a pretty cool achievement in itself so exorcism's <laughs> logo which literally is a smiley face with parentheses around the Side to make up the ears <laughs> is a trademark um so at some point i hope it finds its way into as a unicode character but anyway um but yeah so we we do occasionally get get hate mail about that we get like if someone does have a bad mentoring experience i feel like i generally find out because i get told angrily in an email um but thankfully those are rarer than the good things we see you know the thousands of students a day that are using it and having a good experience on it yeah i i imagine it was quite quite a challenge to kind of hold that i guess you're not holding it together the people are holding it together but like building that community up and making sure that it's got the right kind of values and you want you encourage the people to stay that you want to stay it's the most important part of my job 100 percent um and it's 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 really difficult because you want a diverse community um and it's really hard to get a diverse tech community. Um, there are a lot more like white male programmers who are likely to go onto Exism and use it than any other any other group. And you know, I would really love Exism to be, in terms of contributors, uh, a, a sort of representation of the different diversities in society. Whereas naturally, it tends to fall into the percentages that make up the software development world, which is still and very historically dominated by white men. So, you know, nurturing everything we can to try and build that diverse society is one of the most important things. And you only need one, I don't know what your swearing rules are on this podcast, but one unpleasant person to come into, um, to, to come into exorcism and start being... Um, swearing words again um to to spoil it for everyone else and so and especially for people who you know are are more vulnerable in the tech community um are less represented it's very easy for them to um every woman that comes on there seems to at some point be a reference to the fact they're a woman how happy we are that there's a woman there and everything else and i'm like can we not just treat this person as a human um like it almost always becomes even in a positive way, it becomes an issue. And so there's, there's, there's so much in that that is like trying to encourage that diversity because out of that diversity also then comes a diversity of communication. And again, if, you're, um, if you've just got one sort of group of people, your, your communication styles tend to be that, um, the, the, the communication style that's favoured by that group of people, which often in the programming tech world can be quite debatey, quite argumentative, quite to the point language. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that in itself, but it can be quite alienating to new people. It can be quite alienating to people who that's not necessarily how they would um, communicate in their friendship groups or in their workplaces and everything else. So 
it's um it, it's a real challenge not making people feel like they're shut down because I'm telling them how to communicate um whereas at the same time trying to encourage those maybe people who are quieter or those people who don't feel that their um, voice would naturally be listened to to speak up and to be listened to um, and we have some amazing contributors that really you know would encourage those people and make that possible um, but it, it's it's a big part of my job is trying to make sure that it stays a happy place to communicate and sometimes we kick people out we have a code of conduct and we enforce it um, I'd never like enforcing it but um, like mainly because it's a real pain to do um, but you know we, we do kick people out um, generally it's when they just won't accept something and they just continue to argue um, but it can just be they're rude or nasty or other things as well um, there's different ways to run an open source project and um, or any community and we try and do it in a way that um, acknowledges the fact that the only reason exism exists is because of the community and because of all of the people that contribute in all of the hundreds of ways that people do but at the same time you know I also am a strong believer in leadership and direction um, and I think if you don't have leaders who are setting that direction and setting that tone and setting everything else um, the loudest people are going to set that culture and that isn't the culture we want. Some cultures are happy to have the loudest people set in that culture, but that's not that's not what we want for exism. We place a really high value on inclusivity. Um, and so, you know, we, we hold that product vision um, as a core team, as a leadership team, and we hold on, you know, the tones and the, the imagery and the website and all of those things um, quite tightly. But then we say everything else in Exism, you know, we trust the community to go and do a great job of building that. And they absolutely do. That's interesting. It ties into, ties into the idea of uh, like if, you don't, if you don't choose a culture, you end up with one almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. 100%. Yeah. And I'm sure by it sounds like you, you are really encouraging this diversity and all, the, all thinking about it this positively. I mean, that probably is going to definitely have an effect. Just like you say, just someone being there that is just encouraging that sort of behavior all the time is definitely going to keep a good community going on there. That's, that's really interesting. So now we're 20 minutes in, should we, uh, should we pick a question? Should we say, should we officially say a question <laughs> for this episode? <laughs> I feel like we've, we've leaned a lot into communities now. So this is queuing us up nicely, I think. So I think the, the, the appropriate question for this week might, might be, should uh, new developers get involved in open source? Because you're, you're talking a lot about um, the, your community and how your website's open source and all these people are volunteering their time, essentially, which is what open source is all about. Um, so I wonder if you had any thoughts on, as a new developer, someone who maybe doesn't know that much, um, is it worth getting involved in an open source project? Uh, just from my experience, when I started out, I, I was very scared about, <laughs> about getting involved in open source. There's kind of a lot of, there's a lot of roadblocks in the way in terms of like understanding how GitHub works, Git, um, and then kind of worrying that you're not skilled enough, worried that the people are going to shout at you if you, you do the wrong thing. Um, so yeah, I guess there's a lot, a lot to it. <laughs> there's a huge amount. Um, yeah, it's a good question. Um, so my first answer is an emphatic yes. Um, if you're a new developer, open source is an amazing opportunity for you. Um, and the reason I say that is, it, like learning anything, the more diverse um, 
set of knowledge and set of experience you can get early while you're learning that thing give you gives you by far the broadest um understanding of a topic and understanding of directions that you might enjoy going in so i think having that breadth of knowledge is crucial when you're learning and i think one of the most important things about software development and programming is about learning trade-offs you you don't realize it when you start coding you sort of presume that there's a right way to solve every problem um but there isn't a there is never a problem that you solve where you're not making a trade-off um and i always think that you can tell an experienced sort of senior and inverted commas developer when they're always aware of the trade-offs or that they're aware they're always making trade-offs they know that every line of code they're writing is 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 causing some sort of pain somehow but they're willing to make that sort of trade-off and i think open source is great for that because you're most people's first entry into open source so do your do your listeners know what open source is should I define it slightly? We, we've done we've done an episode on getting involved uh, on what open source is. Yeah, okay, so we'll, awesome. we'll pop a link into the show notes to that. Yeah, perfect. That wasn't set up. Um, so um, yeah, so like you tend most most contributions to open source tend to be you find something that's wrong with something and you want to make an improvement. Um, so my first ever open source commit was to Rails, the Ruby framework. And that was like something that I thought was like an extra option that could be added to one tiny little thing um, that was like such a simple little obvious thing. I was like, there's one line of code change. Like I must have gone through six revisions before I got it merged. Like I think my final implementation was nothing like my first one. And like I wasn't a new developer. Like I'd probably been developing for 15 years by that point. Um, So I could code, yet still it took that many iterations for me to get there. And so yeah. I, I would say in that in that like interaction and in a few other interactions like that, my level of a software developer jumped up so high because I was being exposed to all of these ideas and thoughts and you know extra expertise that these other developers had around me. And if you're learning by yourself, just totally by yourself, you're only going to be getting like your thoughts, the thoughts of maybe a book you're reading or a course you're doing. And those are often thoughts that are sort of trying to teach you in a certain way. They're trying to take you on a certain journey. If you're a junior developer in a company, then, you know, it's probably even more so. You're probably contributing to a code base that has got specific rules set up by your developers, you know, see developers who are making specific trade-offs. When you contribute to open source, you just don't understand any of those trade-offs at first in that project. You can't because you're 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 not going to read the whole project source code before you make a thing. Like so you're immediately opening yourself up to these other ideas or the thoughts. You're putting yourself out there. And that's that can be really scary. Um, I would say um, it does not need to be scary. There are almost no open source projects that I would feel worried about contributing to in terms of the type of response I was going to get. As long as, and massive caveat, as long as I'm like respectful in the way I write an issue or a pull request or like try and do that contribution and as long as I'm sort of humble in the way I do that and um and and as long as like I remember that this is someone else's code base be it a person or a community and I'm trying to change that and there's a good reason for that that I'm explaining but I might have missed it I might not understand why it's there there might be things I haven't realized if if anyone makes a pull request to anywhere on Xism where they say that then they're going to get a positive response even if we're like we don't want to do this, I'm closing it. I'll take the time to say, we don't want to do this, I'm closing it for this reason. 
if you just send me a patch without a description, without a reason, if you send me a patch worse that says exorcism should do this, like I'm, not, I'm probably just not going to respond. I mean, I'm, I will do eventually, but you're going to, you're immediately going so low on my thing. You're immediately like flagging up in my head as I don't want to speak to this person. So for me, the quality of contribution, the quality of expertise, the quality of code, like it, if someone puts really rubbish code in a pull request, that's a bit irritating. But if they demonstrate that their intention is good, their humility is there, their desire to help is there, then I'm massively going to see that as a mentoring opportunity where I can help that person upskill a little bit. Um, so for me, it's all around that communication. And the second thing I'd say is you open yourself up to this great network of people. So if you come along and like just chip away doing tiny little improvements to say documentation nexism, or you put one exercise together or any, anything that's like, it doesn't have to be that technical at all, but you're improving it. Like firstly, I'll invite you to our like Slack room where there's like, three and a half thousand other people who contribute to exorcism that you can interact with like you're opening up a door there to this great community that you can ask questions to that you can talk to you're flashing up on like people's radars like who are more senior developers who will eventually be hiring someone new all of these things you're 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 building those relationships in a way that is that shows you want to contribute that you want to make other people's worlds better that you want to help people and I wouldn't hire someone based on their open source contributions, but if somebody had shown a willingness to contribute to open source, it is definitely going to be a positive in my mind. Like someone could equally justify, well, I work really hard in my job and it's all closed source and I don't have time for that stuff. And I'm totally fine with that too. I'm not going to make a judgment call on it. But it does demonstrate, and if I can go and look at your like pull requests and see the way you've communicated, see the respect you've shown, see that you've been willing to iterate, all of those things, those like massive tick boxes for me. And probably more than anything for a junior developer, that's the huge tick box. If I can see this person has got a learning mindset, then I'm going to be willing to put it with any inexperience because I'm like, I can get you from an experience to experience in a year. That's not a problem. If I hire someone that's got five years experience but a closed mindset, then that's going to be a disaster because there's a, you know you can have a forty-year software career. There's a lot of stuff to always be learning. It doesn't matter if you've got five or ten years experience, especially in software. It's changing. Everything is about a growth mindset, and that to me is what open source is about. It's about you helping grow another project and you being willing to take that feedback and grow your own knowledge through it. I find it fascinating that there's not. In all of those signifiers that someone is a good person to, that you've mentioned that makes someone a good person to work with, someone who is going to be a valuable member of a team and who is someone to keep an eye on, none of those factors are, oh, how, how well do they know the specifics of this particular fr language or this particular framework? It's not, not a technical question at all, is it? No. Now, do you find it's easier speak as as someone with experience of, of mentoring people and guiding people along, do you find it's easier mm -hmm. to teach technical stuff than it is the communication side do you have techniques for nurturing bad communicators into good communicators that's a great question um they're different right people some people are great communicators you know so there's a um guy on twitter um j3 is his handle jeff jeff kashmir um jeff's lovely um exism originally came so Katrina originally created Exorcism when she was working at Turing School, which is what Jeff runs, as a way of teaching code to people. Um, 
the reason I I bring Jeff up is that his background is as a as a school teacher, um, and he's you know a really talented software developer and everything else. But the first time I saw Jeff was when he was giving conference talk, and he was just such a great communicator. And you know, someone like like Jeff who knows how to teach, he knows how to communicate. If he was starting today and doing a career change from being a teacher to being a developer he's going to be fantastic like the level of communication he's going to have in a team means that he's going to learn he's going to add so much value like all of these other elements are going like just a massively in his corner whereas somebody who learnt code at the age of 10 and has spent 10 years being a total like geek and has no communication skills is is going to be so much harder to incorporate into a team I'm going to think it's so less likely that person's going to have a growth mindset. I say this as someone that learned to code as a little kid and had no communication skills. So <laughs> I, I, but um, we have, you know, and we have both sides on exism. Like we have a couple of contributors who I find really difficult to communicate with. And I think they find me really difficult to communicate with because they're incredibly like black and white and I'm incredibly soft and squidgy in the way we communicate and that's a clash right like they think I'm just wasting their time by putting so many smiley faces in and I think they're being rude because they never put a smiley face in and <laughs> I'm simplifying it but it's true and you know um I'm not I'm not going to pick names out and people on, on the podcast but there are people that I've thought this person is getting close to the point where I don't want them to work on exism and they've turned out to be people now that I consider to be like exism wouldn't exist without this person and i still find them ridiculously hard to communicate with but um but we just deal with that like i just know their intention is great and they know that my intention well they probably think it's pointless is also nice and like and we just have respected each other but um but i've not tried to teach that person soft skills i i just wouldn't be my place um, but we've learned to work together. Whereas there's another person who came on as a mentor um, like a year ago. They're now one of our, I think, probably third most prolific mentors. They've probably mentored about 6,000 students. Um, they will know who they are if they listen to this. And like <laughs> they have a tendency to get into arguments with people um, and never intentionally. Like it's always down to just like miscommunications. They're very, the way they write is very staccato. It's very like, doof, doof, doof. Um, like the mentoring is like bullet points. It's like, I am just giving you bullet points of stuff that is wrong with your solution. And um, another mentor worked with them really closely to teach them why that was annoying them annoying other people and like this person's like super technically competent and a really nice person but if you just if that's your first interaction with them they're gonna rub you up the wrong way and so um we you know they've now really modified that style a lot they're still great bullet points in but they you know they start off by saying nice solution well done and that enough <laughs> you know that's enough to make it but they just recently <laughs> and it's probably gonna give it away more they recently made a chrome extension that when they're mentoring it automatically analyzes what they're writing and tells them if they're doing things wrong so wow. like <laughs> like even just stuff like simple things like if you just using the word just like never ever ever in a code review use the word just especially to someone that's learning something you saying why don't you just do this is so insulting because if they if they'd known they could just do this they wouldn't have done it it's never what's meant it's always like here's a simple way of doing it or a simpler way but so every time the word just comes up it'll just flag in the in a little box above the thing saying don't put just 
And so, you know, this person hasn't changed. They're still the same person. They're as nice a person as they were in the first place. But now they get into less arguments with people. Their intentions shine through. This, it still occasionally goes wrong, but rarely. And they mentor so many thousands of students. That's always going to happen sometimes. Um, so, but that was somebody want, that was someone who said, you know, I want to get better at this. I want to communicate. That desire to improve those communication not skills necessarily. I don't want to be insulting and say they've improved their communication skills, but like, I think they have, but like they, they get into less fights, let's just say that, um, came from them and they've been really open to that feedback, really responsive, super growth mindset. And, you know, that I'm sure will benefit their their life and their career and everything way outside of being a mentor on exorcism. Um, so, yeah, I, if somebody ever wanted to say, how do I get into less fights? I would happily chat to them about that. And like, I've got really good at that, at getting into less fights because that's got to be your number one job if you're like an open source maintainer is understanding how to diffuse conversations. Um, the person we were just talking about asked me the other day how many like hours a week I think I spend diffusing situations. And I worked out that it works out at 22 working days a year. I spend just diffusing situations Crikey. on GitHub issues or in Slack. Um, oh. And so, and that's always well-intentioned people trying to make positive contributions to a community. So if you come up and you're humble and you're nice and you make a pull request and you don't cause me to diffuse a situation, you're immediately flagging yourself as someone I want work and nexism, even if your technical skills aren't up to scratch because you're saving some of those 22 days that I can never get back again. So I'm grateful to that. And that I feel like I speak for every open source maintainer out there when I say that. <laughs> I think that's definitely something we touched on in the, the last episode about open sources. Just be, just be nice <laughs> yeah, if you're 100%. trying to get involved in something. It's a great rule to <laughs> work by that is <laughs> listening to you talking about the mechanics of maintaining a good open source community do you mm -hmm. ha are there people with specific roles then are there the people that his job is not necessarily to do the coding but to shepherd prs through to being merged yeah. so um yeah it's one of the things that makes us makes an open source project like successful is when you you get um get a ramp from somebody doing their first contribution to somebody whose job is fundamentally to just maintain that repository um and their job they will code you you're you know most maintainers are also contributors but their primary role is to gatekeep is to ensure the quality of things um so each language on exism has one to five maintainers who are in charge of sort of maintaining um, the quality of those repositories. Um, they will add a lot of things themselves and do things, but often other contributors will find, oh, I wish this exercise was in this language. I mean, so we have like a relatively central bank of repository of exercises on Exism. Um, we have about 150. And then every language has their own implementation of those. So 150 times 50 exercises, which is a lot of exercises. Um, like tens of thousands i think um wow. and so but all of those like will be somebody's like oh i wish i had bob on this track and so bob's an exercise um and <laughs> sorry, context get um, bob in here <laughs> yeah he's a good bob in here um so and and then the, the, you know they can come along and implement the exercise and, and pull that down effectively um 
uh, and then put send a request to Ruby to say, let's add this into the Ruby track. And then the Ruby maintainers will look at it, they'll make a few suggestions, they'll put it in. That's the general workflow. And then sometimes people are going to contribute to like the central bank of, of exercises as well. Um, so having that that ramp where someone feels they can move up in that level of sort of um, maintaining, if you like, is really key. And in Exism v3, we're we're taking this a lot further. We're adding um, reputation into it, similar to what you get on like Stack Overflow reputation, and the contributions you do, um, and that's a contribution from giving feedback to somebody, um, all the way through to you know I run the Ruby track now, and you know we want that to be a ramp where you can see how you're progressing on that and you're unlocking new new things you can be involved in. Um, so hopefully that makes the journey more interesting because there's lots to do on Exism and you can sort of touch each bit until you've touched enough things that we then trust you to have responsibility over those areas. So yeah, the different different people, different roles and different people enjoy things. You know, some people, one of the things that we're working on at the moment, again, in version three is a whole new set of exercises. Um, so we're asking every track to write 40 new exercises um, and these are track specific now, so we're no longer having a central bank of exercises. And these are designed to teach the idioms of a language. So we're moving from somewhere where you just practice something and get some feedback into a place where you're actually being taught exercise by exercise the things that make a language special. Um, and they all they're all story themed in some way. You know, um, Eric just wrote one last week around um, having a toy race car that you've been saving up for, and like it's fun little stories like that, or sort of you know role playing games or whatever. We, you know, some people are good at writing those stories, and some people have zero interest in it. But the people who have zero interest in writing the story might be great at thinking up a really good test suite that helps you solve that exercise. And so one of the mistakes that we've made in doing this that we're trying to rectify is that we put this barrier to putting a new exercise in as you have to do all 10 of these files that make up an exercise. And we're actually now saying you don't need to do that. You know, We'll take a partial exercise that just has a couple of the bits in place and then let other people who enjoy adding that extra value chip away at it. Um, and you still need that maintainer that's going to keep an eye on the whole process and make sure that things fit together. But running an open source project you need to find people that will do all of those different bits and that find them interesting and find them exciting um the bits that you the bits that you find boring are the bits that someone else will love and that's what makes open source good is that you you can find the bits you don't enjoy and find someone else that thrive on that that's fantastic it sounds like there's such a wide breadth of different things in open source from like maybe someone that's essentially like a team leader to someone mm -hmm. who's a tester to someone who's a for good at UI or UX, for example. Exactly. So I guess there's always always room for whatever your interest is in code. You're going to mm -hmm. find somewhere in the open source land where you can really improve those skills. Massively. As well as have fun, hopefully. <laughs> I guess that's why a lot of why people do it. Exactly. You like you meet great you know you meet great friends through this. Like you know the people I, a lot of the people I work with on Nexus are my friends, and we've just got to know each other through. Um, through open source and um, and that's a great you know that's a great part of it and i mean it seems like a shameless plug but it is but if you want to you know if you want to to cut your teeth on the first pull request like we literally have people we just need people to proofread these exercises and make the stories a bit better and like check that things like really sort of no code required but learn how to use github style pull requests that people will happily hold your hands through if you, as long as you're 
going to do a few of them will happily invest the time in like teaching you that first bit and you know it's a super friendly community so if you do want to cut your teeth on something on github for the first time and you don't you know you don't want to be trying to do production code there which is quite stressful there's a lot of stuff that you can get involved with for us right now um and we are very friendly oh that's great uh, um sh- shameless plug or not my next question for you was going to be what would you recommend <laughs> someone do first if they're looking to make their baby steps that sounds like a pretty good answer to that what so if someone is kind of progress beyond that first hello world level in a language and they are mm-hmm. feeling a bit more confident and they want to get involved but they've never done it before what should what yeah. should i if they, we've got a listener who's in that scenario now what should they go out and, and do next the first thing i'd say is sort of don't try and force it um like find an actual find an actual thing that you think needs improving about something um so um and 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 ask that's the other thing i'd say if there's a library that you're interested in um you know xism's a huge project but this can just be like a small library that you use in whatever language it is um like just go and often there are issues so if you go onto github and look at the issues there are often issues where people are saying things and some you know maintainer might say yeah that's great we'll put that on our roadmap for the future post a comment and say if i go and implement this you know if i wrote a pr for this would you accept it that's the way i would normally word things like that um and I love that question as a maintainer because loads of the time my answer is no. My answer is like I, either I want to do this myself because there's so much complexity that you don't realise is there right now um, or it's like, yes, please do this because I cannot be asked with it. And like if if you've asked that question up front, one, you're on my radar. So when you do that PR, it's not just coming out the blue and that's always a good first thing. Um, but but two you've made sure you're going to do something that's valuable the other thing like if if you can't find that i would never mind if someone posted an issue just saying um is there anything i can do to help like there are very few projects that that probably would object to that because i mean if you put that on the website bit i'll just say no because we don't accept contributions on the website but at least you then know and you can move on i'm certainly not going to be offended that you've posted that issue but more likely i'll say no but here's a load of things you could do in these other places that you wouldn't know about and the hardest thing with open source is is discoverability of issues it's something that has been crying out to be sorted forever um but like it asking is the best way to discover things and you know exism has i think like if we look some to all up, i think it's 200 repositories you're never going to go through them all and look at them all and i know 120 of those are active and need things doing post a question and ask and i'll happily signpost you so i think that's true for most places um but then if you do find a feature that you want to do like Again, create an issue and say, I want to do this is 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 better than a PR. But if you just want to code and put a PR together, as long as you don't mind knowing it's going to get declined half the time because the authors don't want the PR, then there's nothing wrong with doing that just for the experience of it as well. Um, so yeah, but I think documentation pull requests and things like that are a great starting point because trying to learn GitHub and trying to do a, like, and trying to solve a problem in code is quite a lot for a first pull request um just doing little documentation patches where you learn the git workflow first is really valuable skill and learning git well is like a massive skill that you should have if you want to be a modern developer it's like it's worth investing a month of your time into just getting git down (laughs) so it makes sense in your head not just so you know what commands to do but when it all goes horribly wrong which it will do like vaguely understanding how to get out of those situations is like 
it's worth investing in early in your career because it actually makes a load of sense and it's actually really powerful and fun to use. But it, it the learning curve's pretty vertical once you move from like the three steps that are obvious. Um, yeah, I, I think I spent maybe a whole episode once just complaining about Git when I was starting out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's definitely yeah. worth spending the time. Now, now it's much more comfortable, and like mm-hmm. I don't know what I'd do without it. But yeah, when you first start out, it is just it's just one of those things that's so hard. And I guess having that focus, you don't have to worry about the code. You're just focusing on how Git works and how you make pull requests and stuff. Yeah, maybe just changing some documentation. That's that's really a good way to focus on it. I'd also say like just on the git thing learn learn why git works how it works like it if you conceptually understand what git's doing under the hood it's actually not complicated the main problem is that people just learn a couple of commands and then they don't really they think they understand what the commands are doing um but they don't and then they get themselves into trouble i think most people have an incorrect conceptual model of git internally and investing the time like consider it a fascinating project about how something works like get a little bit geeky about trying to understand it there's a i don't know what they i don't know what the canonical good resource is nowadays but there's definitely like good resource out there that i learned from a long time ago about this and like going through those resources and enjoying getting geeky about it means that I've never hit a problem with Git in many years now. Like sometimes I like it all goes horribly wrong still, but I can always get out of it. Um, and learn Git reflog and learn Git cherry pick. If you've got Git reflog and Git cherry pick, you're safe. Like that's my golden rule to myself as well. So um, ha- always have those at your fingertips. Cherry pick saved my bacon last week. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you also don't need to be an awesome Git person to be able to contribute. Like, we get people who get themselves into the absolute worst messes on pull requests. I just take their branch, I download it, I fix it, and I just push a new pull request up for them. And it takes me like 30 seconds to do something they might have spent five hours trying to fix. So if you get into a total tangle with it, just post a thing saying, I've got into a total tangle, could you fix this branch for me? And it will take an open source maintainer like literally 30 seconds to get you out of that mess because we live in Git. Um, so don't be afraid of saying that as well like again it's much better for you to just say i've got myself into a mess can you help than to just double down on getting yourself into a mess and then cause more pain for yourself and the maintainer further down the line well, once again the answer is uh, good communication skills 100 <laughs> yeah. yeah um great yeah um so yeah if you're a listener and you want to get involved in open source sounds like exism's the place uh yes. to get involved go and have a look um check out the repos etc see what you can help with so that sounds Mm -hmm. like a really friendly positive place where you'll get some help as well if you need it so that's really good we've been looking for somewhere like where we could point people (laughs) to uh, do that so that's 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 fantastic Uh, so as our our last question to all our guests we uh we ask for the top three tips you would give for someone changing career or trying to learn more about code um i was wondering if you could tell us what those are so great question um so number number one would be you need to enjoy coding i think um so that doesn't mean it has to be a whole life it doesn't mean suddenly it's got to be your best hobby or anything else but um you will you will have a much more enjoyable career as a software developer if you if you enjoy it and so um learning to enjoy the fact that you have like total confusion about a subject but that you're going to fix that and get total clarity like is thrilling and sometimes you can totally forget that so um just as an example like i um 
recently, like two weeks ago, um, decided I wanted a new setup in terms of like, I'd been using the same, I'd had the same laptop for about six years, the same coding environment, everything. And I was like, I want a fresh start. I'm starting to do a load of work on version 3X's website. Like I'm going to modernize my setup and everything. And I spent two days trying to install Visual Studio Code and get that configured to a point I was happy with. Um, and I, I had sort of just wanted it done. I was like, I'm excited about, I'm excited about the fact that I'm going to get somewhere, but I wasn't excited about the journey. And after about two days of this, I just felt thoroughly frustrated and like just felt like quitting. I really did. And so I went back to Vim, which is what I've used for the last five or six years, which is a slightly weird esoteric text editor, but awesome at the same time. And I was like, I've got I've had a reasonable Vim setup, like I'm fast in Vim, but I'm like slow compared to really good people. And I don't understand how most of Vim probably works really. And so I was like, actually, I'm going to just take this total ignorance I've got and I'm going to going to use that so that I can um, so that I can learn like how Vim works I'm going to take this as a challenge and say okay over the next few months I'm going to get a really good Vim setup I'm going to learn Vim script which is Vim's internal language I'm going to work how it like work out how it works like work out how all these plugins that do stuff work how to configure them and that change in mindset for me from I need to know this I've got to progress like I've got to keep going to oh here's something that's really complex and weird and I'm totally lost in but wouldn't it be fun like not to get to the destination but to learn this to understand it to feel like I'm getting a bit better every day and that's what programming is like it's a like the most senior experienced developers like I consider myself in that would like every day I'm hitting problems I've not hit before and whether I um whether I have the mindset of oh for goodness sake like I can't believe this is so slow and painful or oh weird I've never come across this here's something I can learn totally changes how that problem and how that day and often how the quality of the solution comes out so I think the first thing I'd say is like treat it And I know it's hard if you're changing career and you want to get good and you want to get there fast and you want to get that job, but treating it like something you're learning deeply and that you want to learn um, is is something important. And that leads on to the second point, which is, um, again, a shameless plug for exorcism, but um, I'll I'll make it slightly less so, um, is that um, exorcism focuses on teaching a language. So you can't learn like React or um, like some other funky framework or Rails or something on on Exism. We're focused purely on getting your language skills like good. And there's a, a totally natural tendency when you're learning something for the first time to be able to want to make a product or want to make a something, whatever. And so you're going to use libraries, you're going to use all of these different things. And that's great. That's brilliant. Like as a first-time programmer, or as anyone, you want to be experimenting having fun. But your progression is not going to come through getting good at the latest library. Your progression is going to come through understanding what's happening under the hood. Because at some point you'll hit a problem and your ability to solve that problem will, will come from whether you have a conceptual understanding of what's happening in that language and how that language works, not how well you know all the method calls in a library. And so whether it's exorcism or something else, find something where you're you're developing core language skills, where you're learning how developers in that language think, um, and where you're um, where you're building a conceptual model of how things work. And then the the third one um, that I guess links into both those. Um, it's good to have a theme. Um, 
is to 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 not just learn one programming language. So um, to use the, like the analogy of of children learning natural language, like you want a small child, or actually a better one is sport. So they say for the 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 best sports people in the world, all like none of them specialized early, like like. Any professional sports person was good at multiple sports at the age of 10, 12, 14. Like most top, top people, it wasn't until they got to like university where they could have chosen to become a pro basketball player or pro baseball player or pro NFL. They could have done any of those three because they were so good at all of them. And, you know, they say the reason for this is like the eye hand coordination, the teamwork, all of those different aspects in those different things. And programming is the same. When you're learning to program, you're learning you're learning naturally to program in the language that you're being taught in. And one of the biggest problems I think people face with the learning to program is that you're both learning to program and you're learning a language at the same time. And they're two very distinct skills. But by the fact that you're learning to program via a language, you're, you conflate those two sets of things into one. You think that programming is Python or you think that programming is JavaScript. And so by, by putting yourself in that very narrow situation, you you very, very strongly limit how you think. And you'll find it increasingly difficult as time goes on to open your eyes to other paradigms and other things. And you will definitely want to do that. If you want to be a full-stack web developer, you know, you need to understand probably more than one language. And you definitely need to understand lots of different paradigms. Um, and at some point in your career, if you're going to be a software developer, you're going to want to sort of you know, move from this specialty to this specialty to this. That's half the fun. And so, like, sure, have your language that you're focusing on. Like, choose the thing that you're getting good on. Definitely, you need that because it's a career. It's something you want to you want to get started quickly. But find two or three languages that are totally different. Like, like try Rust. Like, which is like, it's not it's not going to be what uh, it's very unlikely that if you're starting out, you're starting with Rust. Although there are a huge amount of beginners. It's weirdly, it's like a hugely popular on beginners, but, um, but, but it, it's, it's, un, you know, it's not, you're not going to make a website generally in Rust. I know you can do for those pedants listening to me who want to argue this, but you're unlikely to be using Rust to build your first website. And then, and then try like Prologue, like, which is totally different and absolutely awesome. I've had more fun programming Prologue than any other language ever. I've not, I've got zero practical use for it. Um, but it totally makes you think about how, how programming works differently. Um, and so, um, find a resource exism has 53 languages i think um you know there are other resources out there that are great as well but go and just solve some problems in some other languages and try and work out how to write prologue like a prologue developer and try and work out how to write rust like a rust developer don't just learn the language learn how those those developers think differently and in doing so, you're so much more likely to advance your career quickly. Not because of your skills that you can put on a piece of paper. No one's going to hire you because you get a prologue, probably. Um, but because you can think differently, you're going to you're going to th- approach problems in different ways. And I also think you'll find a lot more joy in your coding and in your in your career if you are constantly treating programming as a fun game that you are really lucky to get paid for. Um, that's how i see it yeah fantastic i like and i really enjoyed the theme going through that really enjoy programming (laughs) (laughs) that's hopefully why most of us do it yes 
Um, well, uh, thanks thanks a lot for coming on the podcast, Jeremy. It's been really interesting talking to you, and um, it's a bit of a fanboy moment meeting the person who <laughs> friends exorcism um, for me. He's not going. Well. He's not, never uh, going to shut up about it now. He's <laughs> <laughs> no, it's awesome. pouring fuel on the fire. Here. I think. <laughs> Yeah, I've mentioned it a few times in episode now. Um, but yeah, th- thanks very much uh, for coming on and speaking to us. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, where, where would the best place for them to do, do that be? Uh, so you can email me. Um, you can put my email in the show notes. I'm always happy to be emailed. Um, I have a Twitter account. I'm currently on a, a sabbatical from Twitter because it's not good for my mental health. Um, mm-hmm. The hate mail is not nice. Um, but if you follow me on there, at some point I will re-emerge like a phoenix from the flames and... Um, yeah uh or just um like feel free to open issues at github um exism exism and just ask questions and talk to me um i if i can invite you to slack from there very easily as well um but yeah so um email and i suppose people are listening and not reading so you can email like pretty much anything at exism.io and it will get to me um but jeremy at exism.io is always the best um the final just thing i'm just going to say just for two seconds because i know we're probably miles over time um sorry is that I think one of the best ways to get good at programming is to mentor um, and um, to give feedback to others. Like I have learned more from mentoring and exism as a developer than I've learned like programming in a long time. Like seeing other people's code and being able to articulate why it doesn't feel right to you and how it could be better really makes you get in touch with your language skills. And so if you like uh, beyond that hello world you've been doing six months of programming you know you can solve a couple of exercises on exorcism um learning how like giving feedback to other people and learning how to do code review learning how to give feedback is another crucial skill that you want for your career um and so you you know exorcism is a great place to do that there's no long-term commitment you can jump in you can mentor a couple of people you can jump onto slack and ask other mentors for their advice on how they would mentor stuff so um that's another thing i'd say as a way of like rapidly leveling up your your skills is commenting on other people's code it also gives you such confidence like taking that first step to be able to say, okay, I'm I'm not great, but I'm good enough to be able to feedback on this. Like it makes you realize you've come some distance. And so I'd really encourage people to to do that as well. And Exisms, we're like building version three, which fixes a load of the problems. And um, I'll give you a video to link to in the show notes as well about like, it talks sure. about the, the reasons that Exism sucks right now. Um, but we're building out version three to like, to fix these things. But um that's going to be even more of an opportunity to have loads of little ways to get involved in giving feedback and contributing to open source, all of that. We're trying to really build build that into the platform itself moving forward. So um, there's a load of YouTube videos I'm putting out like two a week at the moment about stuff. So feel, um, please subscribe to that and watch those as well because um, they, they're interesting. You can also, we have a video chat with the some of the contributors. There's about 40 of us get together each week. You're welcome to join those video calls as well. They're open to anyone. Um, but they're recorded and put on YouTube. Um, and they're really interesting to just get a feel for how like really senior developers talk and think and you know explore ideas. Um, so if you just want a bit of insight into what that might look like three years down into your career, if you're starting out, um, I think I would I would have loved that when I was starting out. The re- one of the main reasons I put this stuff on YouTube is I think it's awesome if you're if you're getting going. Like, and if you're an experienced developer, it's an awesome insight into open source as well. So I get nothing for saying any of this. It's all a non for profit. It's all it's all there just to help people. Um, but um, 
yeah, I, mentor and and come and talk to us on Slack because we are, as Ed said, a, a friendly bunch. Thank you. <laughs> no, well, well, thank you very much. I mean, it's it's amazing all the time you put into it and the fact that it's practically volunteer run the mm-hmm. whole thing. Um, that is a is a amazing thing and shows how wonderful people can actually be and we always say it but the tech community does seem to be a really really positive place where people always want to help people yeah so that this is just another example of that so that's amazing awesome thank you both for having me yeah thanks for taking the time to talk to us i think we've got more actionable things for for brand new coders from this episode (laughs) than we have in a long time this is great i think people are going to be very busy (laughs) after this one (laughs) i'm glad i'm glad glad to help awesome thank you very much no, you're very welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So thanks a lot for listening. Uh, make sure you check us out on Twitter at AQO Code. And you can find us online at aqoc.dev or questionofcode.com. And be sure to subscribe and like and follow and all those things. Um, and the more we can share this podcast, the more people we can hopefully help. Uh, so we'll hopefully see you next week. Bye. See ya. Goodbye. Goodbye.